0: Oh, we're good. You're asking me about... Oh, you're talking about, you're talking about Spider-Man, Miles Morales, and whatnot.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was fine. I beat that game. I was like, hmm, this was a really good, uh, very expensive game. Didn't fully, like, immerse me quite like I wanted to, but no complaints about it. Also, best version of Venom in a video game ever, easily, hands down. Oh. But, uh, uh spoiler alert, Venom's in this one. Um... But uh, anyway, after I got done with that, I was like, "Well, what else came out this month?" And like a thousand things actually. But now I'm playing Alan Wake 2, and that is just my vibe. I just I wish I was had gotten into the original Alan Wake back when it first came out. I waited way too long to play it because it just whenever people tried to describe the game to me, they were like, "No, you don't understand. You're a writer, and you fight shadow monsters with a flashlight." And I was like, "That doesn't sound fun." But then I loved it, and yeah. I, well, and then I, now I'm playing Alan Wake 2, and I'm like, oh, I love this too.
0: So I think I had similar reservations, and then you on the podcast described your good times with the first one. And so I'm, I, I still haven't gone to play the first one, and I see everyone is loving this new one, though, and I'm like, I guess I got to get into it and take a chance on this thing that's apparently great, even though it just, sounds like a walking through the woods simulator from surface level.
1: It, it's just, it's not these games... I, this is not nece- the most full-throated endorsement you could make, I know, but these—it's not particularly interested in like the in—it's trying to have a video game that has action elements without being like a full-scale, just like action fest type of game.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: they—it's interesting the way in which they try to do. It feels very sort of—I mean, obviously, heavy narrative is the right term there, but also just like it almost. Uh, it feels like a slightly better of more evolved version almost of like LA Noir which was a very bad game but <laughs> um but like in this in the in this one you can go inside your mind palace and in your mind palace you can take all the clues that you've gathered from walking around in the woods and you can put them up on a large board and connect them and it's not like it's not a particularly hard series of puzzles but it's just very satisfying like from the perspective you're playing like an FBI agent you're supposed to be some master like detective and so it's very satisfying to like actually have a mechanical component for when you're like putting all the clues together and figuring out where the secret cult is and so i like that bit a lot
0: Hmm. well good times so you want to just not talk about the episode today and talk about video games we like because i'm playing a video game i like oh also so go ahead
1: we can get to this video this episode is kind of video game adjacent so we could at least you know it is polish that off
0: I think it had a surprisingly realistic premise. So that's just, yeah, get it. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is the Big Bang Theory Theory. I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. And this is a show where uh, we, we try sometimes to talk about the television series, The Big Bang Theory. And some days we succeed, others we don't. And today, you know what, Kyle? I don't know. This episode, not a bad time. I don't think a bad time at all. As mentioned, I think it's... Uh, actually a pretty decent representation of stupid nerd bullshit that you actually go through in real life but I don't know not funny I guess it was fine you know enjoyed it uh and it was the official episode the title is uh it's season 7 episode 19 the indecision amalgamation
1: now I like that one both because uh, it is about indecision, and also, as the amalgamation implies, there there are three so, there are three plot lines in this episode, and they're all about indecision, which basically never happens. You you never have in this show episodes where everyone is actually dealing with different variations on the same thing, and so it was nice that they actually figured out how to do that for one fucking episode.
0: If if this show were to lean into what I believe is the most most loathsome. Uh, Genre, which is dramedy, um, where I think it's those are always just failed comedies, is my belief. But uh, this episode, I think, could adopt that because it's not the funniest episode. But yeah, with the three uh, indecision issues, you've got uh, a couple people actually trying to figure out their their careers, their lives, etc. And then you got Sheldon, who's like, God damn it, I don't know which cool video game console to pick in something that would have felt like really scummy product placement if it weren't two-sided, with the understanding that nobody wanted a wee at the time because it's for babies. Uh, I guess we should describe the actual episode. Uh, ooh, you know what I'm skipping over is our uh, re- reading of the brief summary from the fan wiki. So, uh, hey, here we go. Penny gets an offer to be in the sequel to Serial Apist parentheses, Serial Apist 2, Monkey C, Monkey Kill, and can't decide whether to take the job. There's there's our number one. Sheldon is being indecisive on which new video game system to buy. Uh, driving Amy crazy. That's number two. And Raj actually finds himself with two girls to date. After he runs into Amy's friend Emily. All oh, their friends now officially in the fan wiki. Um, and gets a message from Lucy. Um, and so, spoilers. Amy, uh, I mean sorry. Penny takes the job. Sheldon... Uh, doesn't ever choose, and he and Amy collapse in what is probably a GameStop or whatever. And Raj uh, decides he's going to go on dates with both ladies, but he feels so guilty because he's on a date with the one lady. And he's like, oh, no, I'm going to go on a date with my ex, Lucy, because she texted me too. And new lady's like, yeah, you didn't have to tell me that. We can just have this date, and it's fine. Except in like a much more accepting and charming way. And so uh, I think all of these are f- fine outcomes. I just uh yeah, like I said, I, I don't know if I can whole lot solid goofs. But how are you feeling, Kyle? What standout moments would you like to kinda go through here? Oh, and there's a Will Wheaton appearance. So alright.
1: Yes. Uh Will Wheaton describing his self loathing and grappling with depression is pretty nice. And th- I, that felt real. That I was like, he's not that good an actor. That's how he really feels. Um and then uh uh yeah, I think the most relatable part to me was not any of Sheldon's actual indecision cuz the PS4 was obviously the superior product at the time. Of course. But uh, but it came with a connect
0: that 360. Who doesn't or the Xbox one or
1: whatever? Who doesn't want to be forced to use a Kinect, Kyle? Yeah, yeah. Uh there's a reason that if you actually look at the sales from that generation, PlayStation just in fact, I think PlayStation stomped over uh Uh, Sony stomped all over Microsoft so badly in that generation console lineup that to this day, if you ask, like, Microsoft, they're like, we basically never recovered. Like, we still make video game consoles because we still have some share of the market, but we don't anymore consider ourselves a serious contender on the hardware front with with Sony. That's why they acquired all those game studios because they basically were like, I guess we're mostly a software publisher now.
0: Well, and I think back to during that that generation and the build-up to the Xbox One, or as I like calling it, the X-Bone. I think that was one of the good things about that console. Like, they had, what was it, Peter Molyneux, or who I think is his name, perpetual video game pie-in-the-sky bullshitter developer, and he's showing off like, Hello, it's I'm British Peter Molyneux, look at uh, Project Milo. It, you can stand in front of the Kinect and you can play with a small boy. This is all completely pre-rendered footage we're showing you, but you never thought that you could buy an Xbox 360 and have a conversation with a realistic eight-year-old. And it's like, no one
1: (laughs) wanted that! Why are... I don't say no one, the real question is... Oh, okay.
0: (laughs) I was trying to shy away from that tone the entire time, Kyle.
1: I'm just (laughs) They think if they had thought four seconds of that, they would have been like the only people who would be really into this are not the people we want are associated with our product. How strange! Yeah, uh, it was
0: it was bizarre, and it was like an early, I guess, like gesture towards AI. Like the the boy will learn to be your friend, and you'll have great times together. And but no,
1: that's so unbrand. I there was an article the other day I didn't even read it, but the title was Peter Molyneux is really tired is like promises he's not just that guy who makes outrageous promises that he never follows through on. And it's like, ah, you're aware of your own reputation, I see. Um, Anyway, going back to the episode, the part that was most uh, relatable was not his actual indecision, but the part where he's trying to explain his indecision to Amy, and she's just so annoyed and over it. Like, she just, she does such a good job of not wanting to hear about it for five more seconds. Yeah, well, and
0: I think... I've been here too. I like not, again, like specifically between these two consoles in a decision, but whenever I have to buy a a new piece of electronic equipment or whatever or hardware, I'll hem and haw about the most minuscule differences as if, you know, when I buy a new computer, I'm going to notice the rich difference in between how it's micro-threaded or what the fuck ever and so I'll spend like weeks just agonizing over stats that I realistically don't understand before going, okay, this one looks good. And uh, Sheldon and Amy... Well, you know what I actually liked about uh, the the Sheldon and Amy bit was, yeah, Sheldon never actually does decide, but Amy, either out of desperation or maybe even to, to ease Sheldon's suffering, is like, let's do this. I will buy you both of these console systems and we can just leave and that'll solve it. And, uh, I can't remember why Sheldon turns that down actually. Cause
1: he only has what he has a, oh, a home single port. System, yes. And it only has one port.
0: She'll buy him a new one. That's yeah. She, she doesn't even take that as an excuse. She keeps trying to, it doesn't go anywhere though. And yeah, they just collapse and their, their scene ends. Um, I did not expect, to to jump to our our A-plot, I guess, with Leonard and uh, Penny, I did not expect Serial Apis to come back. I still can't believe that that is a title, that is a recurring joke in this, but I know it's like a a Family Plus series.
1: Yeah. Wait, Family Plus?
0: You know, like, you can watch it with your family, but probably not the little kids. You know, like a a PG-13 Plus on the TV or whatever.
1: Yeah, I guess, no, not with the title, not with, I mean, I cannot imagine a a, a family show being called Serial Apist, because there's, you can't, ex- like, I guess, can you think of an actual TV show that was ever on that had quite such a heinous title?
0: I'm sure there was some, but no, I can't...
1: I mean, they called it Law & Order Special Victims Unit, because they thought if they called it Law & Order Sex Crimes, that would make people too uncomfortable, so...
0: Yeah, it's better than the original name, Law & Order, The Rape Tapes. It's like, no, is that legal
1: to show? Is that legal to make that television show? Uh, but I will say, they read a little bit of the script. I think it sounds awesome. Well,
0: so the thing is, is like when we talked about it the last time it came up, I think you won me over, because at first I was like, she doesn't want to make a decision where she's not happy about the project and, you know, was worried that it's going to drag down her next thing and get her on the wrong trajectory or whatever. And you you convinced me by the end, like, no, she should just lean into it and be like a good actor in a bad movie if she has to. And that's actually one of the arguments Leonard makes too. And I'm on board by this point, having seen the light. And, um, yeah, I think, like, at this point, it feels less like it should be about indecision to me, or at least I don't want it to be, as much as, like, her trying to lean into it, and I'll I'll maintain my hatred for Will Wheaton in that, yeah, his self-loathing and depression does seem too real, and the reason he is relied upon it all is that basically Penny, um, well, Leonard, I think, suggests Penny talk with him about what it's like to have a long-term career in Hollywood and the strange ups and downs it may take, and we learn Will Wheaton, boy, he may have more downs than ups, and he doesn't give advice that's helpful. Leonard and Penny uncomfortably walk away. And I'm like, ah, classic Will Wheaton. Just ruining whatever you're in for me. Um, but yeah, all of that happens. That, that's most of the plot. And then Penny does, in fact, lean into it. And then it turns out that while she is playing... Because they didn't really talk about it, I don't think, in this episode. But in the, that, that last one, she's supposed to like transform back and forth between apist and and babe or something? Is that what's happening?
1: I'm not sure, because in the final scene where they show her, it appears more like she just has perpetually the body of uh, hot Kaylee Cuoco, and just the hands and presumably profus- right. proportional strength and rage of an adult gorilla.
0: Well, because yeah, Will Wheaton shows up in an entire gorilla suit, and you're like waka waka, that's how his career's going. But are there two gorillas? Or is he playing... The fully formed gorilla. Like, I, ooh, what if it's fucking Scream, but with gorillas? <laughs> <laughs> now I'm starting to get into this idea. I'm into this movie all of a sudden. Um, Yeah, there's yes, your because
1: thought. for context, she says specifically, there's a scene in this, because uh, uh, Leonard is like, how can't he it be? And she's like, well, there's a scene in act two where I wrestle a chimp in a bikini. And he's like, wait, are you wearing the bikini or is the chimp wearing the bikini? And she's like, oh, we're both wearing bikinis.
0: Yes, yes, yes. This is true.
1: And I'm like, uh, to be honest, a movie, what I like to imagine is she's kidnapped by mad scientists or poachers who have an illegal underground chimp wrestling ring. And, you know, she's forced to fight another chimp uh, for entertainment. But a la Planet of the Apes, she organizes a chimp MMA fighter uprising and they break out of their cages and do tremendous violence to these evil poachers and, you know, chimp-fighting mongers.
0: Yeah. On board. Why... Why do we have to have these other characters now, you know? Now we have Penny is, for the first time in as long as I can remember, actually pursuing a real role and, and trying to get into it. And... um I like that more than this video game decision i like that more than what is either our b or c plot where yeah raj can't decide which lady he wants to date and dates both and it goes fine it's great he, he just turns out that this the the red-headed lady that thought he was a maniac before justifiably so also finds his uh awkwardness and vulnerability endearing so who knows who raj is going to make out with but he has, like, his little romantic comedy episode, but, you know, I don't know if there's a lot of goofs to it. Um, Hooray for Raj getting it, yeah, I guess.
1: this is not—I I know I'm over—but I would not have—if I were giving Raj advice, I would say take your chances with the new girl. Because the last girl, if I remember correctly, is the one who, uh, who has an anxiety disorder that's so bad that she, like, basically, like, ghosted you once and then, you know— uh, basically broke up with you and and ghosted you again it's like yeah, yeah. do you want to it's keep like, going back to t- the
0: one who keeps running away from you literally during dates yeah yeah no i'm on your side here you know not like he has to make a decision and that's ultimately what he doesn't do That's but...
1: actually what i'm gonna say is yeah the real theme of this episode is people who have very easy decisions to make that they over agonize them about about them
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair way of putting it. Like decisions where I I wish that they were more heightened because I'm like, yeah, all these things are kind of annoying, but none of you seem to really be in a difficult position because of them, but whatever, it's fine. Uh, Also, I guess this isn't super plot heavy relevant, but there's a point where Sheldon is leaving Amy's apartment and I guess they now officially um, have a, a mandatory smooch on the way out the door. And so that seems actually like a relatively significant development in their relationship. But I'm glad we got to see that little bit that they're, you know, they're not walking back from kissing, that she's trying to normalize it, that Amy is slowly but surely grooming Sheldon. So we're that's getting that, there.
1: It would, at least, I mean, I feel like they had to put that part in the episode because the. Uh, if not for the fact that their relationship is getting more physical, the trajectory of their relationship would be troubling, because we have seen oh, yeah. Amy slowly get more and more annoyed and exasperated with Sheldon, to the point where she is almost in the same place as all the other characters, and finding him basically intolerable to be in the same room with for long periods of time, Yeah, and so...
0: Well, and I'm sad that that redheaded headed Emily-, Emily is going on dates with uh, Raj now, because I think Well, who knows, maybe her and Emily and uh, Amy can all kind of, you know, fool around and and figure out what it's like realistically when you are in a relatively small friend group and you just have a lot of in-sleeping amongst each other. (laughs) But that's not what the episode's about.
1: No, it is not.
0: Kyle, anything else about this episode? Nope. Nope yeah let's move on to our our fun thing then because like yeah this one it's another one of those ones where I'm like I liked what they did with the characters but it just didn't have enough goofs for me Uh, so way to hit that middle of the road that's that's your job you did a good job Big Bang Theory Theory but now let's go on to bigger and better things Uh, so Kyle I have uh, one of my classic video game recommendations again Um, would you like to go first or shall I
1: No, go ahead.
0: So, uh, hey, Kyle, last week, you fucking ripped me open on air by starting with saying, hey, here are these incredible games that have all been released within the last month. Which weird, shitty old one or Bloodborne are you playing? Yeah, of course I was playing Bloodborne. I did for... I I beat the DLC boss for the first time, and so I felt good about that. Um, And now, instead of all these other incredible games, I am playing... Star Ocean: The Second Story R. Um,
1: I'll let you have that one because that at least is a remaster. So
0: yeah, and well,
1: so that's it, new to the market.
0: And the reason it is my my recommendation is that this game came out late '90s on the PlayStation, and I never really played it. I think I like rented it once, or uh, shout out to friend Mac, he rented it once, and I played it at his house. Uh, but never actually got far into it at all, and it seemed really overwhelming at the time because the big thing I remembered about the game is, yeah, it's got fun combat or whatever, but more importantly, it's got a bunch of different scenarios for when and how you can recruit different characters, and that leads to all sorts of different endings, and it has these little kind of personal side quests, kind of like happened in Final Fantasy IX, where you can step aside from the main plot to go have an interaction with a, a different character. Uh, except I think it actually does it a lot better than in 9. And this was a little bit earlier, so I think maybe this kind of was not the OG, but, you know, an early adapter of this system in the 9... Streamlined it, I think, almost, well, not almost, but to its own detriment.
1: Well, I think it's definitely, it was part. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting the middle of your recommendation. Well, I know
0: you're a big Final Fantasy IX head, so please chime in. No,
1: I was just going to say, I think it was definitely part of that, like, we have. radically expanded the amount of computation that our gaming software can do which means we can fit basically infinite script into our game but we're not obsessed with graphics yet which means we can make like a you know, an 80 hour game with you know, bunches and bunches of side characters but it all still you know, looks like a 2D, you know, sort of classic SNES game
0: I mean, I guess I'll take that explanation, sure But I just enjoy having little side conversations With the guy with two dragons coming out of his back It
1: was, it is I do feel like video game writing was better back then And I don't know that that might be insane To actually well, believe Well,
0: actually, it is Because I'll push back right there I'm not saying that this writing is good or bad I'll say there's too much of it That, <laughs> um I don't know, like there's, if If I wish I could have been an editor on this And just trimmed things down you know, I'm not going to say that like you're having completely unnecessary random conversations for no good reason, but the conversations you do have, I think have a lot of filler and small talk in them that I find really frustrating, especially when like, you know, it's it, it's so the, the the good and the bad here is that, you know, it's an old school RPG and the thing that oh, yeah, but, but before you interrupted me rah, was um the the talent system I blew my mind. Where each of your characters, and there is a whole bunch of them you can get, there is like a variety of twenty different talents and at least twenty different skills, and they each interdependently support each other, depending on how you level up. the, like it's it's like a weird little network of stats where you don't even get to see the behind the scenes connection, and so you are just pumping numbers into different things to kind of develop the, what you ideally want to veer towards. Uh, And it rules. I love it. It's like, that's one of those things where I think as RPGs have modernized, you could say, and become a whole lot more action oriented, like, I like that fine. But I also like watching numbers go up. That's like, and if I can have a guy who I keep plugging numbers into his chemistry and someone else that I keep plugging numbers into mineralogy and I know they're complementing each other, that to me is a satisfied gameplay experience. Oh, but also, having not played a lot of the original, um, and really, I am so much further in the remaster at this point than I ever got in the original game, uh, I feel like it is, even though I can't do a direct comparison, it's done a really great job of making it like, playable for a mod- like modern gamer. I'm not dealing with all of the old frustrations I would experience in the past like things just being completely unexplained or like brutally long dungeons without checkpoints or saves or anything like that or travel it's like it's all I think the original like as cool as the systems were it was a whole lot more ambiguous what any of them actually did and this one helps a lot and so it's still pretty convoluted in a way I enjoy but it has, like, slightly more hand-holding that makes me feel like I'm not going insane as I play it. So, yeah, Star Ocean, uh, it's good if you like that kind of thing. If you're a weird old JRPG pervert like me. Kyle, what's your thing? Uh,
1: my thing? My thing, now that you ask, is um, if you're going to talk about old school, I'm going to go as old school as can be. Sorry, did I picked up the microphone. Did that screw with my sound quality?
0: Uh, no, not that I noticed.
1: Okay, I'm gonna put it back down though, so it's in the same place it's been. Uh, my thing is as old school as can be. I recently started rereading for the first time in maybe ten or twelve years, *The Three Musketeers*. Oh, and that shit slaps. That is a good book. That is that holds up. There's a everybody so uh. Unless you're living in Iraq, living in Iraq, I meant living under Iraq, but also unless you're living in Iraq, in which case you're part of a different literary tradition, uh, you have probably heard of the Three Musketeers, at least conceptually, you know, maybe you saw one of the movies, maybe you've seen some cartoons or something, at the very least, you know, you know, they're, they've got some swords and they shout all for one, one for all, uh, the original source material for all of those uh, adaptations was a French novel written, I think, in the 1800s by one Alexandre Dumas, mm-hmm. uh, who was, uh, you know, uh, a black man writing, you know, to, uh, you know, churning out incredible amounts of work just to get by, but to incredible popular acclaim. So very interesting man. Wrote some real bangers, famously The Count of Monte Cristo, which is also quite good. But... um I cannot explain what put me in the mood, except there is a relatively new translation out that's just supposed to have slightly more modernized, convenient language. Um, But also I was just, you know, I liked it the first, I've always liked it. And I'm hardly the first person. There's a reason they're famous. But anyway, so I went back and I started rereading again the first book in the series. And it is, not only is it good, the only way I did to describe, is like, it is very much like picking up uh, this maybe this is a terrible comparison if you have literary pretensions, but it feels a lot like picking up a really good mo- historical manga and reading it in the way it's structured, just like episodically and with like interesting bits of characterization interspersed with action sequences. Like, it feels very serial in that sense. Like, where you're, uh, I think the mistake most people make is they pick it up and they expect a novel in like the you know, more modern sense with a beginning and middle and an end. But really it is, is it's just like the continuing adventures of, you know, this dude, D'Artagnan, and his three best friends who he meets upon entering Paris. So for a quick rundown, uh, the novel is set, I think, in the early 1600s or maybe the late 1500s um, during in France, during a time when uh, there's a lot of religious unrest between uh, Protestants and Catholics, and the Catholic Church is still very, very popular. And the most powerful man in France is probably not actually the King of France. It's actually probably this dude who's the who's a cardinal, which is a high-ranking Catholic priest. Uh, who Cardinal Richelieu, who is basically more powerful than the King of France inside France and secretly runs a large part of the country. Uh, and into that steps this young eighteen-year-old country bumpkin named D'Artagnan. Who is a natural-born, you know, sort of, literally, like, he's a shonen protagonist. He's sort (laughs) of a, he's an arrogant, uh, but likable, honorable guy who is preposterously good at one thing, and that one thing happens to be stabbing people in the face with his sword, and, uh, he has one ambition, which is to join the musketeers. The musketeers are, like, the king's personal, like, bodyguards, um... You know, they're like the soldiers who protect him. And when you hear musketeer, you think, well, they fight a lot with muskets. I mean, technically, but of course, what they really are is a street gang run by the king who, you know, stomps around Paris getting into getting into brawls with the cardinals, dudes. So it's a lot, you know, it's uh, it's a little bit like West Side Story in that sense that you just have these two roving gangs of master sword fighters like, you know, Prowling around in the streets, bashing each other's heads in or stabbing each other. And so D'Artagnan wants to be one of these dudes. He goes to uh, their headquarters and he immediately accidentally picks a fight. I mean, he doesn't accidentally pick up f- he doesn't want to fight with these dudes, but he he just, you know, he gets into a scrap a scrape where the only way to satisfy everyone's honor is he has to fight three consecutive duels with three dudes, Porthos, Athos, and Aramis, who are all musketeers and all best friends, and he doesn't know they're best friends when he's accidentally agreeing to fight a duel with each of them separately. But they all show up on the same spot at the same time, and they're like, oh, are we all supposed to fight you today? And he's like, yeah, I guess, probably gonna die, but let's do this, on guard! And, you know, he wins their respect, and the cardinal's men show up, and it turns into a sword fighting thing, and they all become best friends. And then, yeah, the rest of the novel is just, like, this pitch-perfect blend of, like, you know, social intrigue and, you know, uh, action sequences and intrigue. And uh, it's just very – there's a reason you can see why it became one of the most popular novels ever written because it is just a constant banger. It's not like it's, you know, it's action-packed and then it's funny and then it's kind of horny in places and it's (laughs) mysterious and, you know – uh, you know, sometimes it reads like a spy thriller and sometimes it reads like a soap opera. And sometimes, yeah, it's just like, and now these people are all going to stab each other in the face. It's great.
0: Recommending a book, huh? Fancy you with this adventure you're so excited about. While I'm trying to just stab would, things make with a little very... two-dimensional pixelated characters. Sorry, I mean, it would
1: make a very good plot of a JRPG. I'm sure someone is probably... Ad uh, adapted parts of it. This I mean, at least
0: I, I want to like turn my baseball cap that I'm constantly wearing around on my head while I sit backwards in a chair and say, "Well, you want to know that the Three Musketeers were kind of originally the first uh, JRPG, what with their their party system and their complementary abilities and whatnot." Yeah.
1: I mean, I do. I feel like, you know, Final Fantasy Tactics also starts with like a dude being like, and now I'm accepted into the guards and me and my buddies are going to go kick a bunch of bandit ass. It's a pretty standard opening.
0: Man, that's a game that I would go back and play, but I want to play a better version of it that doesn't go super-duper slow with the weird... I don't know. I was about to complain about the weird translation, but I've grown up with it and love it, so I guess it's really all I've ever known.
1: It is really weird that Square Enix has managed to remaster all of their other games and can't give us a proper port of Final Fantasy Tactics for the Switch. That's really odd. Yeah. Even Steam.
0: Well, it's... You know, I think about that, like, it's cool I'm playing Star Ocean right now or whatever. I didn't ask for this. Yeah, if Final Fantasy Tactics came around, that would be way preferable, but... I'll play my star ocean I'll think about the other games that I could be playing and reliving in spite of having in, instead of having new experiences and living my life or whatever but yeah star ocean's pretty fun you can you can ride around on a giant bunny can't do that in real life
1: wasn't uh wasn't Final Fantasy tactics, like one of the most famously, it wasn't broken in the sense that it was unplayable, but it was broken in the sense that if you knew how to exploit it, you could basically make your characters like so strong that the game became sort of ridiculously easy. So
0: I think that's true, yeah, of like a lot of JRPGs, but I think, yeah, particularly tactics, because I don't think they put a lot of guardrails up on how different abilities between classes would interact with each other and so right
1: and you can de-level character like there's a de-leveling mechanic so you could you could get your character equipped with like all sorts of late game jobs and stats and then you could take them back to level one and level them all the way up with the you know higher with the higher class stat growth if i remember correctly
0: i don't remember if i ever wound up doing that but that sounds possible and then also star ocean Um, is ridiculously broken with all the different abilities it gives you. And there's one where it's the contraband ability, which I think is hilarious. Actually, I meant to mention this earlier because, yeah, you can produce fake documents, particularly like fake money. And, um, you know, like you you sell that at a shop and just cash out. But the downsides are, one, it lowers the friendship bonding points between everybody, I guess because they feel guilty about their crime. But also if you fail, one of the items you produce is a bad check. And until you pass it off to a store at a loss, it will continue to drain money from your account. Uh, And I like that a lot. But that same ability, when you first unlock it, says, Oh, this is a power that will allow you to break the game by (laughs) creating incredibly powerful items, especially near the beginning of the game. And it's like, well, thanks for just putting it out there with some like retroactive uh, vision to say that, yeah, we're not going to fix any of this weird shit. We're going to let you know that this is the way to just bust this game wide yeah, the it's, fuck open.
1: It's a historically like it's like you know if you want to play this game. Oh no, yeah, I don't think yeah, they I should fix that. it. No, I'm on. No, I, I think I it's think good. It preserves the historical va- the historical significance of the original design.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, now that we're back to talking about cool stuff like video games and not, you know, old French guys that went on adventures, loving their lives, I'm going to stop right there. I don't want to talk about video games anymore. I feel like I need to read a book.
1: You might like this one. It is fun and funny. Ah,
0: books. I'll do it, I guess.
1: You might also like, if you don't want to read the only problem, and this isn't a problem for me, but it is like 800 pages, if you want to... Read uh, one that's slightly shorter and more self contained You could read uh, Count of My Cristo, which is also really good.
0: Well, that I think I have read, and I did love it. So, yeah, I got to actually get down with these, these old sword boys and party with them.
1: Yeah. At the very least, read it and figure out which one of the musketeers you would be. I think one of them is canonically depressed, although he's he's depressed because his wife turned out to be some kind of, like, secret criminal and spy and that, you know, put him off women forever, but, you know.
0: I'll pretend that's my backstory, just to have it line up, because if I can have the depression and I don't have people asking me about details all the time, you know, I can I can at least from the outside fit the part, and then... I don't make shit up about my wife if anyone asks. I guess. Yeah, I like I to
1: just look into the distance and be like, I remember the first time I asked her, honey, what's that tattoo on your arm actually mean?
0: It means that I've killed more men than I've slept with. And you're like, how many are either of those numbers? Not judgmental. Well, a little judgmental if we're being honest, but. Anything else, Kyle?
1: Nope, I think we're good.
0: Let's wrap up on this.
1: Well, it's a pleasure to talk to you.